This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. everyone. Welcome back to Worth Your Time. I'm so glad you're spending your Tuesday with me or whatever day it is when you're listening. I am excited today to talk with my friend Katie Woodrick. I met Katie through the blogging world as I've met so many wonderful women and I wanted to talk with her today about her business. She's an awesome entrepreneur. She's a TV producer and she's also a very passionate political activist. Um, She is progressive. She is not conservative like me but that's one of the reasons that I wanted to chat with her. So we talk about business, blogging, working out, being a mom and also a little bit about politics and It was important to me to have Katie on the show and to have more friends on the show that don't think exactly like me politically, because I think it matters to have those kinds of conversations and to be civil and to respect one another. And I've seen Katie live that out um, so very well when she talks about things that she believes in, even when she disagrees with people. So I hope that you'll get something out of this conversation with my friend Katie Woodrick. Okay. Hey, everyone. We are talking today with Katie Widrick. Katie, I'm so excited to have you on today. Uh, I follow your Instagram stories uh, so much more than I do other people, so I feel like I talk to you all the time, but really I'm just watching and listening, so thanks for taking time from your busy schedule to chat with me today. Okay. If you could not pay me a better compliment or a more meaningful compliment, because I'm sure we will get into it over the next few minutes, but you know, I have kind of this professional side where I am type A and I try to be as you know perfect as I can be in what I do for clients. But inside, I'm just kind of like a silly girl that likes to talk about makeup and likes to talk about, you know, cravings and sometimes stuff hard parts of parenting and Instagram stories for me is where I think I am the most real. And so the fact that that resonates with you is a huge, uh, huge plus for me. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. And I think Instagram stories has really kind of just revolutionized social media in general, because you really get such a more um, inside personal look at everyone, you know, not just you know, friends or, or people from the internet that, you know, but celebrities and people like, you know, Chrissy Teigen, for example, she's one that I follow. And um, it's just kind of fun. And it, it just gives you a peek into someone's life that you, I mean, can't, wouldn't have even imagined 10 years ago. You're exactly right. And I know that there is a lot of talk about social media being a highlight reel for a lot of people. And I think Instagram stories bucks that trend a little bit because you have to get something out in 15 seconds. And can you curate it? Can you make it perfect? Can you put a filter on it? Of course. But I don't think that's what people like to use stories for. And that's definitely not the type of content that I go to stories to to watch and be a consumer of. So I, I love Instagram stories. Totally. I mean, I think people with kids, especially like we um, often are like, oh, see the chaos going on here. See my living room, see my crazy kitchen. I know I do that. And uh, I totally agree with you. I think it's it's been a kind of a, a magnet for people to gain new followers because all of a sudden it's beyond the pictures and it's beyond the curation. So you describe yourself as a fitness freak who is a personal <laughs> trainer, a blogging and social media coach, and you're also a mom to two adorable little girls, Remy and Audrey, who, by the way, love those names so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. They match their personalities because Audrey is my six-year-old and she is, I would. I always think of her as just a very classic person. Um, she is sensitive and sweet and so empathetic. Um, and Audrey just feels like a good classic name for a classic kid. Remy is wild <laughs> and funny and, you know, frustrating and silly and has these big curls that are uncontrollable like she is. And so choosing a name that was a little bit out of the box and a little bit less common feels like it was the right name for her too. So I I feel like they probably named themselves. (laughs) Well, I I do notice sometimes that she's you can't quite get her in bed when you want her to get in bed, which I completely relate to that, although it's my older one that 
that gives me that kind of a hard time. <laughs> I know. I, again, going back to Instagram stories, this is where I feel my most tribal connection, particularly with moms, because the a number of messages that I get when I'm, you know, it, when Remy is in my bedroom at 11:30 throwing a dance party or uh, climbing on counters and trying to show me that she can fly, you know, those are things that. I might want to hide because they're not ideal, but the love and support that I get from other moms who are a telling me that's happening to them too. And be thanking me for sharing it because they feel less isolated. Um, yeah, that, that to me is, is and Remy. Oh man. I love her so much. She's so fun, but just uh, like from a philosophical standpoint, she challenges me in a lot of ways because I identify very much from a personality standpoint with my older one. Um, and Remy is different than me. And she, in so many amazing ways, she's really pushed me outside of my comfort zone as a person. Um, and that's, a, I mean, that's a lot for a three-year-old to, to do, but I have to give her credit for trying to teach me patience and helping me understand what's really important in terms of boundaries as a parent and as a person. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that too. When we talk about fitness and business, because all of that really, the thread of it is trying to be the best mom and the best human that I can be. And you're also doing this a lot by yourself because your husband works out of town a lot. So you're, you're, you're single momming it several days a week, which kind of ups the stress level. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The solo parenting was never in, in the plans for me or for my husband. He has a job that he loves and, um, but it requires quite a bit of travel and that sometimes is as many as two or three weeks out of the month. And, um, and because I work full time and we've got the two kids and not a lot of family near, no family nearby and very little, you know, childcare support. And I know you've gone through this too. Finding trusted childcare is it's just it's, that's about the hardest job I have come across is trying to find someone that you can turn your kids over to for a few hours. But it has definitely made things more of a challenge. Um, and not to be, very, you know, super cliche or, or whatever about it, but it for me, it has cemented the idea of self care and the importance of putting on my oxygen mask first in as many situations where I can, because I know that I'm no good to my kids when I am maxed out and out of patience and frustrated by the whole experience. And so sometimes that does mean putting myself first. Um, and so again, you know, looking for silver linings, uh, solo parenting is not my preference. I, I don't like it. If you follow me on Instagram stories, you will hear me whining about it quite a bit when, when I'm in it, but it has definitely taught me to take better care of myself. And, and I'm hoping that that's something that I can kind of share with other people too. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background and your business, what you do. Um, tell us a bit about that and then uh, and what you do for a living. I know you, I think you kind of have two jobs, right? You're uh, all still working at Growing Boulder as well, right? Right. So my background, the short story of my background is I went to college and had a dual major, um, broadcast journalism and policy studies. And I kind of always knew that broadcast journalism was going to be my more direct career path. Um, I honestly thought that I was going to be Hannah Storm. I thought I was going to be on air um, doing sports commentary. I love sports. Um, so I thought I'd be at ESPN. You know, I had my career plan mapped out. Um, I pretty quickly uh, found out through an internship while I was still in college that I, for better or for worse, I like um, being in control. And I think I have so much respect for people who are more public facing, who are the on-air talent, whether again, it's on TV or in other jobs. Um, but I liked being the one that was putting stories in order. I liked writing the words that other people were going to say. I really liked being in charge when there were crises, uh, breaking news came in and your entire plan for the five o'clock show, you know, literally sometimes would, would blow up and you would have to kind of do everything on the fly. And, and the people who are on air, even though it's, it's just a really special talent, um, oftentimes they are just following the plan that a producer sets. So it probably took two or three days in a newsroom for me to fully wrap my brain around the fact that that was that was my job path. That, that was what I got fired up to do. So I ended up, um, after graduating from college, I went into a pretty traditional news environment. I worked in local television news, uh, in a number of markets. Um, and 
after kind of going through that for a number of years, and you may relate to this from your own experience, it's, it's very taxing. I liked the job a lot, but it's high energy, high stress all the time. And, um, I wanted to keep doing storytelling, but I had gotten very frustrated by local news. Um, there's that phrase, if it bleeds, it leads. And that was certainly, uh, the case for the newsrooms that I worked in. Um, so I actually ended up leaving television news or daily news and started working for a startup called Growing Boulder, uh, which I continue to work for to this day. It's an incredible, very small team of passionate people who are trying to use video storytelling in particular, but really embracing more of these digital tools. Um, we're just trying to tell stories about uh, inspirational people and really ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. Um, so our focus is uh, on a slightly older demographic, 40 plus, but that's masters, athletes, that's people who have started second careers. It is cancer survivors who uh, you know felt called to um, start charitable organizations. Um, so I still definitely have my hand in kind of the storytelling side. And then if we travel that path just a little bit further, because it was a startup, we didn't have a lot of people. We still don't have a lot of people. And so everybody really had to um, kind of take on job responsibilities that might not have been written for them, but that were required to get the job done. And that for me and being a lot of social media management. Um, so, you know, whether it was starting our blog or our Twitter accounts or growing our Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and every tool that we use today, I learned a lot of that on the fly and discovered that, you know, similar to working as a producer, I liked being the one that kind of came up with roadmaps and helped people understand how to tell stories through other uh, tools like online marketing. So, I ended up starting my own company while still working at Growing Boulder called uh, Make Media Over. It's a company that I still own, and it's really like a kind of a full-scale online marketing and consulting company, primarily for health and fitness bloggers, because that's the other passion I have is health and fitness. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very busy days, um, challenging times to be working in online and traditional broadcast marketing but it's so fun and I get to work with amazing people. And so you work essentially for yourself and that's a dream that a lot of women have, especially moms that are wanting to kind of make a schedule work for them, a flex kind of schedule. How did you end up making it a reality? I mean, there's a lot of steps that go into creating your own business. You have to get an L I assume you had to get an LLC and put it all together mm -hmm. and then you have to get clients. You got to keep clients and you got to be organized. So I would say, how did you get to that point and what were some of the barriers you faced along the way? Did you ever think you might not actually make it happen? Oh, I mean, I don't know an entrepreneur who doesn't wake up and think this could all go away. And if you lose that fire, I think that is a red flag. Uh, you know, I have the the benefit, I like to think of it as a benefit, as having had really both experiences. Um, when I had Audrey, who's now six, I was working full-time for Growing Boulder um, in a fairly traditional, you know, nine-to-five job. I She was in daycare at 12 weeks. I pumped um, and, you know, did the, the breastfeeding thing for two years, but, you know, really navigated all of those challenges. Um, thankfully, because it's a small team and I have an incredibly generous boss at Growing Boulder, I had, I did have some paid maternity leave. I was able to flex my schedule a little bit when needed, but, you know, again, I, I worked in an office and she went to daycare when she was an infant. And as we all know, there were, you know, challenges with that. With Remy, it turned out that basically the day that I found out I was pregnant, we also found out that my husband had an opportunity to grow in his job, but that required us to move a couple of hours into, I live in St. Petersburg, Florida now, outside of Tampa. At the time, I was living in Orlando, which is where Growing Boulder is based. So we decided for a number of lifestyle reasons, we very much wanted to take the opportunity to move to the Tampa area. And here I was pregnant with Remy. So life forced me to make some difficult decisions that thankfully have worked out phenomenally well for me. Um, but I, 
approached Growing Boulder and basically said, you know, I'm moving. I'm making this change. I would like to continue my role at some, you know, some level. Um, but I also think that I knew that some of the things had changed in my own life. My my uh, Make Media Over business, which was really a side hustle at that time, um, it was growing. I think it, I knew it had the potential. And so I, you know, I wrote a blog post at the time and I just said, you know, you sometimes you just have to make the leap and build your wings on the way down. Um, as a type A, as a planner, that's not always easy for me. But in this case, I, I guess I knew that the universe was going to reward me. Um, I had built a decade of trust with Growing Boulder. They knew who I was. They knew my work ethic. They knew that if I said I was going to be doing something, even if it was remote, even if it was fewer hours a week than, um, than I had been working previously, I was going to get it done and I was going to do it well. So I don't know that just you know walking into any office and saying to a boss, I'm moving, can I keep working for you? I don't know that that would work for everyone, um, but it did for me. And again, it allowed me to take the opportunity to make this big lifestyle change that was incredibly important to me and my family um, and still also grow some of the dreams that I think I might have put on hold for a little bit longer. Um, but because of that, because we moved and I was pregnant, it meant that when I really ramped up make media over and started thinking of it more as a job and less as a side hustle. I was hugely pregnant when I formed my LLC, when I started taking on clients, when I, you know, built this. And that meant that when I had her, I essentially went right back to work for myself. I worked for 18 months with her at home and she bless her, my little firecracker. She was a very difficult baby. I had a very tough time postpartum, um, with her than I had not experienced that with Audrey. And so, you know, that I had, so I was very lucky that on paper I had a more flex schedule. I was home with her. I barely pumped at all with Remy. I, you know, even though I nursed her for two years, I, had her at home. I didn't have to pay for childcare. I had that bonding time with her, but in many ways it was more difficult, um, with that more flexible schedule. So I don't know if that, you know, I don't know if that totally answers your question, but, uh, it has been very valuable to me, um, when I'm trying to see things from someone else's perspective or try to understand where someone is coming from to remember that when it came to the early years with lots of reasons to celebrate and lots of reasons to be challenged in each case. And I think that's probably true for just about anything any female entrepreneur is going through too. Yeah, I think um, I can only imagine if I were working with my baby home right now, she's eight months old and I just, it's so hard because you just, you can never finish a task and you're so dependent on nap time and that may not happen. And, um, I can, I can see how it would be much more difficult doing it, you know, feeling blessed, but also getting it done. I mean, that must've been a very stressful time in life for you. It was and and, you know, I know you have shared a bit about this and, and thankfully so many women have been more open and transparent in recent years about their postpartum struggles. Um, but you know, I really did suffer from a lot of postpartum anxiety with Remy. It, like I said, she was a difficult baby. She did not sleep very well. Um, she was kind of high needs in terms of, you know, she just, she's a toucher to this day. She's my little independent kid who is going to move mountains, but she has to be on my lap or she has to be on my hip. And, and you know, that that's been the case since she was, uh, she was my Velcro baby. Um, and so there was not only anxiety about, you know, having kind of handling all of that. I had an older child. I wasn't sleeping because the baby wasn't sleeping. Um, everything, all of the normal hormones that come after you've had a baby. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, I'm launching this, this new job. I, I sometimes wonder, you know, how much of those, how much of the stress really, you know, fed into the postpartum anxiety or how much of the postpartum anxiety, uh, was going to happen anyway. You know, I, I can't really know how those variables work, but there's no question in hindsight. I will say Erica, that when I was in that, the 18 months, I knew that I was stressed. I knew that I was anxious, but I don't think I really understood how dark and how challenging it had been until I was done with it. 
um, or until I, I felt, you know, I, I ended up hiring a nanny at 18 months to help me more of a mother's helper, but she came in and just even those few hours of support really changed my life. Uh, I wish that I had gotten that help earlier. Um, but again, when I was in it, it was very eye opening to me after to realize I, it was a dark time for me, but I don't think I knew how bad it was until I was over it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I totally relate to that because even now um, at eight months postpartum, I'm wondering what I'm going to look back at 2018 and see um, in the future because I'm doing fine. But I also remember, you know, thinking back to when my son was first born, like you don't recognize when you're in it, it is hard to see it. And, um, you know, you almost kind of brush things off like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, and, and it is hard to see that when you're in it. And, um, so I totally relate to that. Um, so I want to ask you, so you're someone I really relate to in terms of being a mom and hustling and getting things done and working out and just always being on the go. You seem like a multi-passionate person. That's one way I describe myself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, you know, we all have to get things done, but is there anything that you do in your life that's like, I do this every day, or these are the, you know, three things that I always make sure to do. Um, and that means that I'll get the other things done. Like, are there things in your life like that, that are daily habits that, that oh. help you stay on track? That is maybe the, my favorite question ever. So gold star, because yes, the number one most important thing that I do it is what I call my power hour. And for me, my power hour comes at 545 every morning. Um, I actually wake up fairly early, even on weekend mornings. I'm a morning person by nature. And so you could easily shift your power hour to any time of day that's convenient for you. But between 5.45 and 6.45, unless I am sick as a dog or a child is too sick, you will find me in my office. And that hour is the most effective of my entire day. Um, it, typically, I do use that for work. Um, and I am a super nerd when it comes to efficiency. Um, I do everything from batch processing to lots of automations. And this is actually what I end up doing for a number of my clients at Make Media Over is just looking at kind of how their day is mapped out and streamlining it and figuring out how we can, we can find little pockets of time. Um, so that, that 545 to 645 is precious to me, you know, help the person who tries to get in the way of that. I will say that for me, kind of a secondary thing is I move every single day. Um, I work out five days a week without fail. It literally goes on my schedule and gets blocked out. So I, clients can't book with me during that time. Um, it, I make sure that I have moved other things around in the calendar and I actually plan my workouts fairly far in advance so that I don't have any conflicts. Um, but so five days a week, I'm, I'm doing an actual workout, but the other two, I don't care if I have to do it on a, you know, lunch break or early in the morning, instead of my work time, I take a walk, I listen to podcasts or I get on my Peloton bike or I do something that is so critical to me is to move my body. It takes me out of the daily stress of work and parenting. And again, it's that for me, it's that oxygen mask. It is something that I do for myself. I know that it benefits my health, which is important. Um, I do not go to the gym so that I can look good in a bikini. Like I am too old for that. <laughs> I go, I go to the gym because it makes me feel amazing. It makes me feel strong. I know that it is helping me with my functional fitness so that when my kid is trying to climb up on my hip, I can support her or that I can rock my giant six-year-old in my lap and, you know, my arms don't get tired and I can haul groceries in and it's all of those things. Um, but that, you know, the power hour and the workouts are two absolute must do's every single day. And then the third thing is something I'm working on. So we can put it, we can put an asterisk in it. Um, kind of going back to the postpartum anxiety. One of the things that, came out of nowhere for me from a health perspective is I started having fairly severe nighttime panic attacks. Um, I had never had them before. It's like a nightmare on steroids. Um, I mean, not to be super dramatic, but I found myself waking up in the middle of the night, um, sitting straight up in bed, a hundred percent convinced that I was dying. 
Uh, and it's the worst thing that has ever happened to me. Um, and so I sort of had to work through why that was happening and what was going on. And I'm sure this will tie into a thread that, that we'll get into here on the podcast. But, you know, I really sort of determined that I was spending too much time immersed in the news, in politics and in headlines. And, um, I had to step back from that and really take better care of myself. And so my new nightly routine is instead of watching CNN or scrolling Twitter or reading the Washington post or, you know, whatever it is, um, I really have a hard cutoff for news at 7 PM. And after that, my goal is to do some type of reading. I'm trying not to do a bunch of personal development reading. You know, I'm talking about like light romance novels or like rereading something, you know, that is a childhood favorite um, and just winding down. And that seems to be helping along with a magnesium supplement. I will say that the combo of that. Was this in 2016? Yes, girl. Okay. So, <laughs> cuz I had the same rabbit. problem. No, I didn't have panic attacks, but I did have to say, you know what? I have to stop t- checking Twitter as soon as I get up in the morning cuz my blood starts boiling immediately and I just don't need that kind of rage in my life at 6 a.m. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, I can I can feel my blood pressure rise and it's it's funny because you know, again, I know you and I are, don't necessarily feel the same way about policy and politics. Um, but but election night 2016 for me was, and I think it was for a lot of uh, people, but certainly women, and, and maybe this has been your experience as well, whatever, whoever you voted for, however you feel, you know, November 8, 2016 was a, a tipping point. It yeah. was a shocker. And funny enough, it was Remy's first birthday. So I, it was like, it was like a bad sitcom. I had champagne out. I spent the first half of the day crying because I had made it through the first year with this difficult baby and we survived. And isn't she a great kid? And she's one and she's my last baby. So, uh, you know, I had all of these feels about her being one. And then I thought, and now we're electing the first female president. And I, and, you know, it's just like this, this day kind of went from one of the most joyous for me, again, I'm uh, speaking for myself. We went from a lot of joy to, um, just like for me as an instant sense of dread, uh, when I was not particularly happy about the, the way the election went in 2016. And so, you know, even that night, I just felt like I'd had these two extremes of emotion and hope and kind of plans for the future. Um, and yeah, it was like that night, triggered something in me emotionally that I think I'm still coming to terms with. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's get into that a little bit. Um, I, I know I told you before that I wanted to ask you a bit about politics and for those listening, um, one thing I love about Katie and one of the reason that, that I wanted to talk with her is because she is very vocal about what she believes in. Um, but she's also very respectful of other people. And so these days, you know, all we see is disrespect and all we see, all we see is incivility. And what I've noticed about Katie um, is that she does not disparage the other side. I've never heard her say a negative thing about a person she disagrees with. And I think there's that is a very rare quality these days. And I wanted to talk with people that don't necessarily agree with me on every political issue or every policy issue. And I, you are one of the first people that came to my mind. Um, you know, you're very uh, you're frequently on Instagram stories or you're on social media talking about what you believe in. You're, you're posting things um, on Facebook all the time. Um, you're very passionate about um, one, one place I see you uh, promoting a lot is Moms Demand Action. You're passionate about the gun control issue. So I want to just ask you, you know, and, and you've said that your political views, you know that those things and being vocal about those things could affect your business prospects. And so you, but you've said, you know, that's something that you, you, you're willing to take that risk because of things that you believe in. So what makes you, um, what gives you that initiative or that courage, I guess, to stand up for what you believe in and put that ahead of other priorities? I'm, I'm glad you use the word courage because I, I mean, obviously I think it goes without saying that there are much braver things to do and there are much more important things that, that other people are doing than just, you know, talking about what we feel and and what we believe in. But you're absolutely right that at least for me, it has taken, um, it, it has taken some 
I am a fairly confident person by nature. And this is one area where I'm still building my confidence. So when you ask, you know, how did I get brave? How did I find the courage? I'm, I'm working on that. Um, when I was back in my newsroom days, I was a registered independent and I was cautioned all the way through J school, through journalism school. You know, you can't, you can't have an opinion. You can't voice an opinion. People won't trust you. They won't see you as the the free press. Um, and that was, that's how I lived my life. I think I have always leaned more progressive, certainly socially. I've always been much more progressive than I have been conservative. Um, but, you know, I always really thought of myself as an independent and as somebody who did not need to be using her, her voice. My, I mentioned that my, my dual major in college was policy studies. And I have always been very, very interested in policy, public policy, much more than politics, uh, much more in, uh, you know, I love, I love democracy. I love the process, but I'm less interested in the actual kind of power structure than I am in the effects and, and what people do when they have power. So, for me, standing up for certain issues, particularly common sense gun reform, like you mentioned, I that that has been um, a hot button for me since before I had kids. But especially, um, you know, in the wake of Sandy Hook, my my oldest daughter was nine weeks old when kids who are now the same age that she is when they were murdered in in their schools and you know, kind of seeing what has happened or not happened on issues like that has been very powerful for me. To realize that when we, when any of us sits back and says, oh, someone else will take care of that or someone else will speak up, that, that's kind of how we've gotten to some of the places that, that we are now. Um, and for me, there are universal th- things that, for, again, for me, feel universal. Nobody wants kids to be killed in their schools. Nobody wants concerts to be soft targets for terrorist attacks, things like that. Um, and so whether you align yourself with the Republican party, the democratic party, you're an independent, whatever it is for me, it, it comes down to a lot of kind of just human policy that, that we can all and should all get behind. So my frustration with politics, even though there are certain personalities and certain um, kind of aspects that frustrate me more than anything, it is the logjam. And I know you've spoken about this too. And and something I so respect is, you know, we need to we need to be able to work together. Uh, we don't always have to like the other people. We don't have to agree with everything they do, but we have to be able to affect some some policies that protect us, protect our kids, make us feel safe, make us feel like we can live our lives without fear of violence or, you know, judgment or harassment and all of those things. And so that's to me so much more important than whether someone doesn't want to work with me because of those views. Um, I will say too that, and I don't, I don't want to project to you, but I imagine you've had some of this experience too. Um, maybe as I've gotten older and wiser or, or care less about what people think of me personally, um, I find that my circles, my tribe is best, not when it's just people like me or who agree with me, but who are interested in engaged people who are interested in working with people who have values and have beliefs and stand by them. And every single time I have said, you know, hey, I know it's not always uh, the right thing for a a service provider to talk about how she's voting, but this is me and this is, you know, why I'm doing it. I actually find that I get more clients and I get a more positive response when I go out on the limb. And I think if for me, those are the people that I want to work with anyway. Does that make sense? Yeah. And do you ever get pushback from people? Um, not from clients in particular, but I also think that the nature of what I do and in really customer service in general is that you, you know, people who don't like what you do are going to fall into two camps and maybe people who like, who, who do like it, they're either going to be extremely vocal and kind of obnoxious about it, um, or they're just going to ghost, you know, they're just going to disappear. So I am certain that there are people who wish I was less vocal. I'm certain that there are people even inside of my own family and and probably close friend circle who, who do not align themselves in the same way with the values that I have. Um, but you know, short of a couple of people who have said things that have maybe hurt my feelings more than anything. Um, I really haven't had any 
negative pushback. I wonder, I wish there was a, maybe I don't wish, um, but I sometimes wish there was a way to see who has hidden you on Facebook because I know that that's, but that's been a very important mechanism for me is to, to mute uh, people on Instagram stories, uh, but still follow them or to, you know, stay friends with them on Facebook, but hide them and, and make sure that they're not appearing in my feed. So sometimes I think, well, that's a metric that would be interesting for me. Oh gosh, that would be, who's hiding me? (laughs) That would make me crazy because I would be overanalyzing it so much. (laughs) I know. Well, same. And and again, I think it goes back to what you, those incredibly kind and generous words you said about me. I, I think now let me be, let me full stop here. Toxic people don't stay in my life. I don't have, I don't have the emotional space. I don't have the generosity for them. Um, you know, I mean, legitimately toxic people, people who, who are trolls, people who attack just to instigate people who just want to be bullies. I don't, I don't have the time or the energy or really the interest in, in that. And so that's a fast block for me. Um, but there are certainly people. And again, even in my own family who certainly vote differently than I do, certainly may wish that I was less vocal or was vocal in a different way. And and frankly, vice versa, but I love them. I think they have good character. I want to know what's going on in their lives. I, you know, I don't want to unfriend them. I don't want to unfamily them, (laughs) but, um, but I need to have some boundaries. So yeah, it's, it's, believe me again, can you tell it in, in the way I hesitate a little bit that it is easy to say these things and it's very hard to do them. Um, Mm -hmm. but here's, but going back to not, not wanting to be anxious, not wanting to live my life, filled with, you know, some of the, I want to live my life with hope. And I want to know that when I lay my head down on my pillow, even if I'm not for everyone, I I sincerely feel like I'm doing my best to be the best human that I can be and to have a positive effect. And again, I guess that's why when I am vocal about politics and again, policy, especially it's, it's not really about the person. It's much more about what are they going to do and how do their values align with my values. Um, and I did not, I have a lot of regrets about what I did and did not do in 2016 when I thought my candidate had it in the bag and I don't want to do that anymore. You know, the Mm -hmm. 20, the the midterms that that we just finished here in 2018, I was, extremely involved and engaged in and not, not everything went the way that I had hoped, but I don't have any regrets about my involvement in the process. And that's kind of all I was hoping for. Well, I want to go back to one thing that you said, which you were mentioning, uh, family members or friends that maybe don't agree with you, but you still love them and, uh, believe they have good character and things like that. And, you know, I've seen plenty of times, uh, people on Facebook or wherever saying, a couple times people saying, um, if you, you know, just unfriend me if you support Trump or just I'm blocking people that I see expressing support for the president or anything to do with him. Um, and it sounds like that's not the tack that you're taking in general. Um, but why, I guess the question is, you know, how do you keep it um, civil and respectful and, and keep people in perspective, um, Mm -hmm. without allowing their political opinions to define them as a whole person. I think, I think that's become kind of the big problem lately is all of a sudden we have big R's or D's stamped on our foreheads or, you know, Trump stamped, somebody has Trump stamped on their hand and it's like all of a sudden, like you write them off as a person. I see that a lot, you know, specifically with, with the Trump stuff. And so how do you keep the perspective and, and what do you say to someone that, maybe is kind of writing people off because they don't like their politics? That is such a good question. And man, we could, we could spend hours on this and I don't know that I would have the end all be all, you know, right answer. Um, because again, this is something here's, here's the challenge that I'm currently facing. And again, this is an ongoing, an ongoing struggle that I have is, and again, I'm speaking for myself and I'm being candid, knowing that you and I have an incredibly respectful discourse with each other. And I so appreciate that. I want more of that. I think you and I are on the same page. I want more people saying, asking good questions and tough questions. I'd much rather have those conversations than talk to people who are not engaged or who have totally given up hope. 
Uh, for me personally, I really do struggle with people who not necessarily just support President Trump, but who cannot at least acknowledge that there are some policy-related humanitarian issues that are affecting people at this moment. And, and it seems to me like it, it does, it feels very binary right now that you are for President Trump or you're against him. And and I struggle on my side with, you know, kind of trying to be honest and call out some of the very real hypocrisies and the very damaging policies and positions that I feel the administration has um, and that I see happening to people that I love and people that I care about um, on a daily basis. I struggle with not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, if you will, um, because it seems to me like if you say, yeah, I don't like the fact that he's on Twitter and I don't like this, that and the other, but look at the economy, that to me comes from a, a place of privilege. I live in privilege. Do not get me wrong. I'm very, very lucky to be in my life. Um I am again struggling with that privilege in many ways and trying to trying to be responsible with it. And I think that going back to your last question, that's why I feel so fired up about using my voice because I have the luxury of not facing a lot of the challenges that other Americans do, and, and not just Americans, but people worldwide, because of the policies in the administration and you know, people that we have elected to government. So it is very difficult for me, like full stop. I am trying not to be one of those people that does write someone off just because of their support of not just President Trump, but of really of any politician. Um, that one for me is a hot button and it does strike a nerve because it's very difficult for me to say you if you support this, but say you don't support that. Uh, it doesn't always con it feels to me like there's a, a disconnect. Having said that, I Am, I'm very well aware that my privilege also makes it hard for me to always understand someone else's position and their perspective. And again, the economy, um, whether it's social politics, religious politics, all of those things, I am not in the same shoes as other people. And as strongly as I feel about certain things, I have to respect that other people through their perspectives, their life experiences, whatever, feel just as strongly. And this is such a good question. Can you tell that I'm struggling with it? Well, yeah, um, don't, I mean, it doesn't have to be a perfect answer. It is a big question. And I mean, I think you're being honest. You are, you know, it, it is a struggle. It's not nothing, nothing, right. What did they say? Nothing, nothing worth doing is ever easy. And so I think this is worth doing. I do think it's hard. I mean, I have, um, you know, several years ago, I, and I, still occasionally struggle, but like I, I used to be, you know, really out there on Twitter. Like I would just say whatever I wanted, not that I was ever hateful, but I came to a point where I was like, you know what? I, I, I grew up and I learned to recognize that, you know what? Other people may not, I mean, I have the same, um, beliefs as other people, but a, a lot of times we do have the same ultimate intentions. And I think that's a good way to think of it sometimes when it comes to certain kinds of policies. Um, and I love what you said about, um, you know, not being in someone else's shoes. And I think everyone should kind of think about that when it comes to any of these really tough issues. Like, I really do my best to say, how can I see this from their perspective? Like, why are they coming mm -hmm. at it from this angle? And I found myself really able to do that. Um, and you know, I, I can see that you have tried to do the same thing and I think that's pretty rare. I don't think a lot of people are taking a concerted, you know, effort making that moment to, to really truly see how someone could come to the conclusion that they're coming to. And, um, I think it's worth doing though. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, from the same perspective, there are, candidates who are in the Democratic Party that whether, you know, I'm thinking of past candidates, Bill Clinton for me is problematic, um, even though that's something that's in our history and that's not, you know, currently active president. When I think back to, you know, what it would be like to have elected Bill Clinton in 2016, <laughs> I think, I think America's reaction would be very different. You know, again, it's just, we, we live and we learn. And I, I try to remember that for me, and again, I can say this sincerely, for me, it's not about Democratic versus Republican. It's, I, you know, and I have a very healthy respect for democracy. 
you know, big D, well, small D democracy. I love our political process. Um, I think that it is incredibly healthy to have uh, maybe a majority two-party system. But, you know, I love everything about it. I want... I want Republicans, you know, pushing Democrats to be maybe a little bit more fiscally conservative. And I want Democrats to bring some Republicans over to be more socially progressive and, and really kind of, you know, think about what's best for America. There's no question to me, Erica, that that has been lost in all of this. And, and you're absolutely right about like stamping, you know, R or D or never Trumper or always a Trumper or, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. I think that's, I think that's very unhealthy. I, I, that, that depresses me. And when I see that, um, people just tend to sort of latch onto one side and I get that too. It's tribal. You know, when you feel attacked, you run to a safe place and that certainly, I do that. You know, there, there's, I don't think there's any of us that is above doing that. And so I want to be really careful to, to say like, if, if I want someone to hear me and listen to me and consider a different perspective, I can't go in and say like, how dare you and judge you and, and, you know, make a character assessment. Um, it's not going to be effective. I mean, it's also not fair. It's not fun, but you know, if I'm just trying to get a different outcome, attacking somebody based on their choices or what they've done is not going to make them more responsive. It's going to make them run further to the, to the other side to where safety is. So I guess I, I just am trying to say, People who are open hearted and open and have their their brains um, open and are engaged in the process and who are willing to say, I, you know, I see things from a different perspective now. I think there's a lot of value in having these conversations. And again, I am. I have learned the hard way that I need to be more humble about some of these things. It sounds like, you know, your experience on Twitter is, is somewhat related to mine. Love being out there and vocal. And I love when people say, Oh, thank you for showing me that policy or teaching me about that or telling me how to get more actively engaged. But you know, with, with power comes responsibility, I guess. And you know, the more active you are, the more you also open yourself up to get burned because I'm learning lessons. I'm doing things that I wish I hadn't. I'm saying things that I wish I could take back. And um, if I'm feeling that way, there's no question that people who align themselves differently politically are, are feeling that too. So, yeah. And I was just going to, I was going to say, um, I heard a quote once and I can't think of it exactly, but it, it was something along the lines of we should be most critical of our own party or our own people. And that is so often not the case. Um, you know, as a conservative, I, I, I try to make sure like I'm not just, um, just like letting things filter into my head without questioning them. And one of my favorite podcasts, actually, it's, um, it's a, it's a called church politics and what it's two Democrats. Um, and they look at politics through the lens of faith. But what I love about them is that they go, they're very critical of both sides and they're looking at everything in a very fair way. And too often, I think we're just like posing against the other side and we're not, taking into account, like, what is our side doing that's wrong? And that's a problem. And, um, and I think that's a problem on both sides, probably. And, and something I think just to keep in mind in terms of like, are we being critical enough on ourselves and on, on, on the places that we're coming from as well? Yeah. And, and no matter what, what, you know, however you do align yourself there, there's going to, we're going to need to heal, you know, again, just going back to things that aren't necessarily related to President Trump or to a particular administration policy. But, you know, we continue to see a growth in gun violence. And I don't see that as a, as a partisan issue. I don't understand how we are not making more progress on protecting ourselves from gun violence. And again, my, I personally, uh, I, I'm a big, um, I'm, I'm in favor of all of the amendments, let's say that, particularly the First Amendment, because I exercise it all of the time. But my husband's family uh, grew, you know, lives in northern New York. They are all hunters. I know that there are many people in my family who are very proud gun owners. Um, but I also think that they are probably among the uh, among the, the people who, like me, believe in common sense gun reform. Um, so, you know, to me, when we talk about 
gun safety and when we talk about um, improving schools and when we talk about health access to health care and reprodu- reproductive rights, these are not necessarily things that we um, have to see as partisan. Um, and even if the way that we enact them and the way that we make changes has to sort of fall along party lines, I understand that that's just the nature of what we do, but there are so many commonalities in what we hold as values. I, I don't know of anyone that is like, yes, we should make schools less safe. And like, it's okay that our kids are getting killed in school. I, I literally have never heard that from a person on any side of, of politics. And I just want to embrace more of that and to say, we have these common causes and we can do something about it. So let's do that. So what do you think when you see, and I, and I asked this question as not someone who has like strong, I'm not like big into that, the gun conversation personally, just asking you, what do you think when you see people who are gun owners who don't want to see more regulations or who are worried, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but some people think it could happen, that eventually people will just want to get rid of the Second Amendment? Yeah, it's, I mean, obviously I have, I have kind of become a student of all of these arguments because I also again, going back to the humility, I I know what I don't know. And um, I also am trying to learn as much as I can. It would be really silly for me to come in and say, this is the way, because if if this were an easy problem to solve, there's no question we would have solved it. I think those are, are valid concerns from people who are responsible gun owners. And I think that's the conversation that we need to continue to have. This can't be a policy that is enforced by people who don't own guns. I mean, again, that that just doesn't make any sense. We, I think it's as important, if not more important, for people who are responsible gun owners to come in and say, here are my concerns, here's what scares me, you know, here's what I'm willing to, to do. Um, I think that there are, again, for me, and, and I'm not a gun owner, um, but for me, from a political and a policy standpoint, there are a number of things that we can do that are far short of taking away the Second Amendment or the right to bear arms or the right even to protect our own safety. Um, very, to me, common sense things like stronger background checks, uh, removing all of the loopholes at, at gun shows, um, making sure that we have a much more robust and comprehensive conversation about how we are protecting schools and soft targets. For me, the idea of arming teachers is a non-starter. You know, I have a six and a three-year-old and I don't need them walking into a school where their teachers are are armed. Um, But I need to have a conversation with people who do handle guns and, and who do responsibly own guns and say, what pieces of this are you comfortable with? I don't want to take away guns from responsible gun owners. I will be totally straightforward with you and tell you I don't get it. I don't have an interest in guns. I don't think I have ever touched or held a gun. Um, But just because that's not something that is part of my life doesn't mean that I can't understand that it's a critical part of a lot of families and and something that they hold near and dear. I don't want to take away – I don't want to take away the rights. For me, it would be like somebody trying to challenge my First Amendment right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would – I would flip out, girl. <laughs> so, I, like, I, I try to, you know, say, like, what? How would I feel if somebody were challenging this? And certainly, again, not to kind of get back up on the soapbox, but I think there has been a pretty aggressive attack on First Amendment rights, and I feel myself very defensive of that. And so, it's almost like I'm getting a perspective, a little bit of like, what am I willing to concede on free speech and free press? and associate free association, you know, what are the things that I think are valid criticisms of the way the press works right now and the way free speech is now, what could I live with, um, that still protects the overall right. And I have to think, I, I truly have to think that there is room there. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful. I think those, your questions are really good ones, but I personally don't want to take anyone responsible ownership of guns way. But I think that if you uh, are not a responsible gun owner, if you are somebody who is a violent felon, I think if you are somebody who is interested in harming people at, at schools or soft targets, then there's, I don't think you should have a gun. And I think we need to err on the side of keeping Americans safe. Um, and that, yeah, that, that's kind of where I am right now, but it's an evolving conversation that I'm having with myself. Well, I like, um, I think I like everything that you said, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And I, and I hope people listening, whether they agree or disagree, can certainly respect that. 
And I like what you said when you said, I think that those are valid concerns from, from law-abiding gun owners. And I think, you know, this almost reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've ever been to marriage counseling, but I have. And it almost reminds me of when they try to get you to um, kind of talk to your spouse about a difficult issue. And the first thing you're supposed to say is, you know, um, I hear you saying this and you have to like repeat it back. <laughs> yes. And I, I have think- not experienced that personally, but I know that that's an extremely effective um, technique. Yeah. Um, makes a lot of sense. And to nobody me. In, 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 when it comes to this debate and many others, like you don't have a lot of people stopping to make sure they're hearing it or, you know, a lot of times we're hearing what we think we, what we want to hear or what we think is the worst or what it's being fed to us by uh, an organization that's uh, getting scare tactics out there, which uh, scare tactics, I hate them. And I've worked for places that do them sometimes. And I, I really think that they are uh, poison to the whole conversation. Um, So I don't like them. And I, I will say I've been, very disappointed in some of the things that I have seen coming out of the NRA. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's we don't an, have it's to get into that. Time. <laughs> it, you know, for, I mean, I, I goes without saying, I hate that we have had to have such tragedies in America recently, whether it's the Parkland shooting or the Sandy Hook shooting, uh, you know, any of the, the gun violence and the, the uh, frankly domestic terror that we've had at concerts and, you know, public events. I, I hate that it is happening um, and that it's causing us to learn these lessons. And I also am not sure that we have learned the lessons because, you know, again, what's the the hopes and prayers? It, it only goes so far um, and it's not saving lives uh, directly at least. But I do think that there, I, I am hopeful that the conversations and the feelings that have come out of some of these tragedies, it is moving the needle it, just in holding people responsible, people in power. The NRA is a great example. And again, I would say whether you're you're a Democrat or a Republican, these are things that we need to push our politicians and our elected officials on and say, how are you positively affecting this issue? Because nobody wants to send their kid to a school and think that that she might not be coming home. And not to be super morbid, but uh, every single day when I take my kids to school and I drop them off, and I think there, I hear this from other moms in particular all the time, it's terrifying because I walk away every day. I wouldn't say actively thinking, I hope that's not the last time I see them, but, um, it's hard to not think about that type of thing when you have a child. And again, Audrey is six and I look at her and I think that's how old the kids who were murdered at Sandy Hook were. They were six, they were kindergartners, like my kindergartner. And, um, I, I just really, really struggle with the fact that we're letting kids die in schools. Oh, I saw a, I saw a sponsored ad today, which was something for um, an organization that was started after Parkland, and it was a mom, and it was her son Dylan, one of the kids that was killed. And I just, oh, I couldn't. Not Parkland, sorry, Sandy Hook. Um, oh yeah, Dylan's Promise. Yeah, it's. Um, Moms Demand Action is kind of, it's a sister organization with every town, and they're both common sense gun reform organizations um, that, it, frankly, have a lot of Republicans and, and I would say even conservative voters and conservative um, policy wonks that, that are active because, again, the, the idea is not to take away guns from responsible owners. It's to really change public policy to make sure that, that people who should not have guns don't get them. Um, but the Sandy Hook promise and all of the parents from the Sandy Hook tragedy are very active. And it is, I mean, anytime you need a reminder of, uh, at least for me, anytime I need a reminder of why I am vocal and why I risk sometimes career, you know, opportunities and things by being vocal, I just re- I reread the stories of parents who lost their children. Um, and again, six-year-olds and at Parkland, teenagers, it's, to me, it's unacceptable. And again, it's hard for me to think that anyone would argue with the, that being an unacceptable result, um, even if we come at different perspectives of how to solve it. Yeah. Well, Katie, thank you for giving us your perspective on that. I'm glad we were able to talk about it and um, just kind of talk a little bit of politics today. But I don't want to let you go without asking you some fun questions to end our interview. And the first one is, what is one piece of advice you want to pass on to your daughters? Oh, my gosh. I mean, because if you follow me on Instagram, you know I am a sucker for a good quote. Um, I have a lot of of quotes like that. But here's one that, that might 
seem kind of surprising, but it's something that I have learned to be one of the most powerful phrases. And it's that no is a complete sentence. Um, that might not be like the most uplifting sort of like you can do anything, but, but understanding, especially as women, cause I'm raising two little women, um, understanding that you can be strong and you, you can be kind and you can be an, a fan person and still protect your own boundaries. And like I said, put on the oxygen mask first. And I want my kids to know that they don't have to say yes to going to every birthday party and they don't have to say yes to everything they're asked to do at six and three. Maybe that's not going to be that meaningful for them, but I'm hoping that when they're 16 and 26 and 36, they remember that it's okay to say no to things that don't feel great to them. All right. I like that. What celebrity would you most like to hang out with and why? Well, I think we would be hanging out with her together because for me, it's Chrissy Teigen. Oh, yeah. Uh, hands down, <laughs> she's the best. Um, I, you know, maybe Chrissy Teigen and like Ryan Reynolds in the next room because for me, he's so funny and he's also not hard to look at. So that would be, <laughs> that'd be a nice combo. But yeah, Chrissy Teigen for me is just like the perfect combination of real, funny, smart, you know, sarcastic entrepreneur, you know, lady boss. Yes. I, I love that answer. I, um, I also would add, maybe we could have Jennifer Garner there. Oh, I'd be fine. I mean, yeah, if we're building like a, you know, a room <laughs> full of people, I think we could, we could get a very eclectic, diverse group of people, but I'm fine. Jen can go, Jen can come to our party. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> um, okay. Do you have a book, TV show, podcast, or all three that you're loving that you could recommend? Okay. So of course, now my favorite show of all time is the West Wing. Yes. It, and you know that I share that love. <laughs> yes. And the West Wing, I am, I am not even a little bit ashamed to admit that I am on my ninth viewing of the oh entire series. Oh my gosh. Series. How? How? <laughs> it's so good. And I'm going to go for a two for here because while the West Wing is, you know, from the early 2000s and so it's not a new show, the West Wing Weekly is one of my absolute favorite podcasts and it is hosted by um, one of the stars of of the West Wing, who is also one of the stars of Scandal, which is a second favorite of mine. Um, Josh Molina is one of the hosts of the show. And so basically the way it works is they, they do like an episodic breakdown of each show and they have brought back a lot of the original directors and cast members. Um, they, it's just, it's a great way. And so if someone has either not watched the West Wing before or, um, has, but wants to watch it for, you know, a ninth time. Like I have, <laughs> it's, it's really great kind of as a, um, a compliment you can listen to a podcast each week as you watch the show. That to me is like, I could, I could listen and watch all day and be totally happy. Yes. I think I've watched it through twice and I have listened to that podcast a little bit, but I have so many podcasts that I have a hard time <laughs> keeping up with them all. Okay, Same, last... I know. When you said a podcast, I was like, does she mean one? Oh, do you or... have any other? Oh, can you tell me your other favorites? Because I like, oh. love podcasts. So just give yeah. me like two or three more. Yes. Okay. So, well, uh, this should not surprise anyone based on the political conversation we just had, but I am a big fan of all of the crooked media podcasts. So Pod Save America, Hysterica, Hysteria, uh, Pod Save the World, Keep It. There's a number from the crooked media team. I am also very much into Armchair Expert with Dr. Shepard right now. Oh my now. gosh, I love that. So good. I'm, I am a big fan of his interview style. And he, like you're doing with this podcast, he has brought on people from so many walks of life, so many perspectives. He does not agree with everyone that he brings on, but he's got a real knack for getting their story. And um, yeah, for me, that one has been has been really great. Um, I am also, this one might surprise you, uh, I'm also a really big fan of Young House Love has a podcast. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's one that you listen to. I it's, don't. It's, so Young House Love is, um, is a home decorating blog, which is, I, I don't decorate. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not crafty, but I really like the the couple that runs the blog and, and their, um, their work is beautiful. They have this really fun and extremely well-produced podcast where they talk about home decor, but also just like life. Um, and it's one of my favorite listens. That's one that I listen to in real time every week that it's released. I listen to it. 
Yes, I, I know who they are. They're one of the original like bloggers from the old school days that got really popular back in like, yes, 2009 or something. Um, okay, last question. It's your last meal on earth. What do you have and who do you have it with? Okay, I have waffles. Okay. Waffles. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not even a little bit embarrassed to tell you that I could eat waffles every day and be totally happy. Um, it's just the best. Who doesn't like a waffle? Well, why are waffles so better it would than be pancakes? Waffles. Okay. That is a really good question. I, I don't know why <laughs> waffles over pancakes. <laughs> waffles. Maybe it's the, it's the texture. It has, it has depth. You can do mix-ins. I like the little nooks and crannies that you can put <laughs> peanut butter. Or, I mean, yeah. girl, I, I should start a waffle podcast because that's how passionate I am. Oh, yeah. Um, but so it would be waffles, and I don't care how cheesy it is. It would 100% be with my family. My yes. husband is my best friend. My kids are the lights and joys of my life. Even when they challenge me, they're making me laugh. I don't want to spend the last moments of my life with anyone but them. I actually thought, why are you even including this question, Erica, at least on the who would you have it with? Because I'm like, anyone that's like a decent person is going to say their, their family. <laughs> I know. If, if I had switched it and I was like, no, it would be Chrissy Teigen. I'd have waffles with Chrissy Teigen and like forget my family. That, <laughs> yeah. I've told you some character. So hopefully that makes your podcast listeners appreciate me, even if they don't appreciate my politics. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Well, I, I think I, at least hopefully I'm going to have Listeners from all perspectives, I've been trying to, you know, mention that I'm going to include um, people that have different beliefs, and I want to do that. And I and just reached out to one of my good friends and asked her, um, like, "Hey, do you have any good suggestions of folks that are?" Because she lives in D.C. And I was like, "Any good suggestions of folks that are working for Democrats or working for Democrat or liberal causes that would be interesting and willing to talk to me?" So I really do want to keep it. Um, to to all the things. So I really appreciate having you on and um, just for you taking time out of your schedule. I know that you and I both have crazy busy lives. So, Well, this was the most fun part of my day. So, I mean, aside from my power hour, which as you know, is precious to me, this was a great hour. So thank you. And I am so excited to be listening to the other episodes in the podcast. And I know that I'll learn a lot from, from other perspectives as well. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Katie. I hope you got a lot out of it. I really love her passion and her wisdom and just what she brings to the table as a mom, as a business owner, and as a political activist. If you're liking the show, I would love it if you would go ahead and go to iTunes and give me a rating and review. It takes one minute, very easy, but it's very helpful in helping new shows be seen on iTunes. So just take 30 seconds right now, pull out your phone, go give me a rating review. It would mean the world to me. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'll see you next Tuesday. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.